I've never let the number in my bank account dictate how happy I am. I've had a lot of money. I've had no money. It just doesn't matter. Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show, where we have conversations with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, athletes, best-selling authors who are using their impact moment to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. Each week, our guest is part of a series such as Mindset, Leadership, Purpose, and we just concluded an incredibly powerful series about developing a warrior's heart. Now, this series that you're listening to now is about the creative mindset. I am particularly excited about this series because there is a lot that we can learn about ourselves and our journey as entrepreneurs by studying and observing those with unique creative abilities, such as some of the guests you will hear from in the next few weeks. What lessons can we learn from creatives? That might be a question you're asking yourself. Well, how about the importance of improvisation? or playing outside the lines, or defining the value that you create in the world, or seeing opportunities where others see mistakes or failure. There is a tremendous amount that we can learn from those with unique creative abilities, such as musicians, artists, and authors. Now enough about the series, let's learn a little bit more about this week's guest in the Creative Mindset series. Blake Jameson is an incredibly talented artist whose work hangs in the halls of the School of Greatness, on the walls of the Vayner Media, on the walls of Hintz Corporate Offices in downtown San Francisco, and many other entrepreneurs, celebrities, and athletes' walls around the country. Blake grew up in a creative and artistic household, but he didn't realize and didn't believe that art could be a viable career path for him. So he worked as a digital marketer for eight years until just a few years ago, he quit to follow his passion and stop using his skills to build other people's dreams. Now, Blake is an entrepreneur and an artist. He didn't have a plan, but he knew he needed to make a change, and he recognized two things. Number one, that the tra- during that transition, relationships would be everything. And number two, his relationship with himself would also have to ta- change dramatically. He would have to get better at self-talk. He would have to get better about preparing himself for the day's activities, and he'd have to get better about keeping himself accountable. He'd also have to believe that he is really capable of achieving great things and that our choices have a great deal to do with that. This is a really powerful, inspirational conversation with Blake, so don't be a podcast junkie. Bust out your pens and paper, take some notes, and brace for impact. Blake Jameson, welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. Super pumped to have you, my friend. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Stoked to be here. Yeah, you know, I uh, I am kind of new to your work. I I, I discovered your work through uh, following Lewis Howes, mm-hmm. and when you went to go deliver a piece to him, and then, dude, I mean, you're incredibly talented. Thank you. And I'm I'm stoked to learn your more about your story and also share your story with my audience. So absolutely, yeah. But before we get into your entrepreneurial journey, we always start kind of with the origin of things. So what was it like growing up in the Jameson household? Huh. It's funny looking back now because my family is actually super artistic. Hmm. Like my dad is an art collector. He collects Haitian art. Uh, my mom does mosaics. Even like my grandma's a painter. So art was always like part of 
my childhood, but I had always kind of convinced myself that art wasn't a viable career path. And so art had always been a hobby to me. Hmm. And so after I, I went to college, I studied economics at Davis. I went into social media marketing and did that for eight years. And that was like really cool, but art's like my passion. Yeah. And so it, it was actually just a few years ago, I turned 30 and decided that I wanted to really kind of follow my passion. And that's when I decided to become a full-time artist. So as far as like the origin story of like growing up in the Jameson household is definitely like creative and artistic, Yeah. but it wasn't ever something that I had considered of like, this will eventually be my job. Would you guys talk about art around the dinner table? Was it a dinner table topic or? Um, we didn't necessarily do like <laughs> sit down, like whole family at the dinner table. We like, I don't know, at dinner on the couch watching TV. <laughs> like, I don't know. My family's like really casual. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, we talked about art. Like my dad was always like really excited about the art that he was, you know, if he like bought a piece or sold a piece, yeah. he's been like collecting art for a long time. And definitely like whenever I would make art, like my parents were really engaged with that and really supportive yeah, yeah, and really like even in college, like they were pushing me, not pushing me. They were suggesting that I major in art because they just knew that I loved it so mm -hmm. much. And I, I was like, that's not, that's not a job. So why did your dad collect Haitian pieces? That's very unique. So it started out actually of him collecting like West Indian literature. So he, he has like a lot of like really old, like rare books, specifically like Haitian and, and West Indian books. And I think that in those books, they, they have like some of the pictures of the art. It's just, it's a distinct style. Yeah. Um, a lot of like vibrant colors. Uh, our whole house actually, like the house is painted like yellow and one room's green and the bathroom is blue. Like it's all like really oh, bright. Wow. Like, I don't know. Have you ever been to Key West? No, I'm familiar? not. Okay. No, I know, I'm familiar. With we, it, we lived in Florida for 10 years um, and we spent some time in Key West as well. And uh, that's just all like it, my house reminds me of Key West just mm -hmm. because of like the art and just like the crazy, like vibrant, bright colors. So yeah. that's definitely like the Caribbean influence kind of super Caribbean. That's, influence, cool. that's yeah. cool. So you went, you grew up in this very artistic household, but you swore you would never join the family business. So to speak, <laughs> you went to UC Davis, became an economics yeah. major and yeah. then went to digital media. I mean, yeah. like, yeah, you know, so uh, what was the thought process behind going from economics to digital media? Is that just like, that was where the opportunity was at the time. Yeah. So I, I graduated from Davis in 2009 and social media was definitely like still a new kind of frontier. Mm -hmm. So I got a job at Zynga actually here in oh, San wow. Francisco okay. and they were very small. I was like the 200th employee, which I know that's not that small, but <laughs> you know, I, I was the 200th employee. I stayed there for, for about a year. And by the time I left, they were at 2000. So it was like during it, it was like startup phase, oh my gosh, wow. it was crazy growth. And I actually got hired as like to do like statistician type stuff. I was like data analyst basically, mm -hmm. but looking at like advertisements and, and seeing like which ones were performing best and running like AB test of ads to get people to go from like a free app to a paid app. Mm -hmm. They were like a freemium business model. And that was like, I totally got that opportunity just because of a relationship from college of mm -hmm. a guy that I lived with that, mm -hmm. that helped get my foot in the door. And I did that. And then I started doing some creative projects there. Like randomly, they'd be like, hey, we need like a video produced for this like new game. I'm, I was the only one to raise my hand. I'm like, yeah, I'll do that. So I started doing this creative stuff. And they're like, whoa, Blake's actually really creative. Let's put him in the marketing department. And then kind of had me as a content creator for social media. Oh, and, and then because of that, I'm like, oh, social media is like really blowing up. Like we were getting massive results. I put Zynga on Twitter, like whatever, almost 10 years ago, <laughs> eight years ago. It was like, I think this is going to be a cool thing. They're like, okay, whatever. 
but it's just like funny, like looking back, like how it was all like so serendipitous and yeah. social media was just blowing up. And I knew that it was a great opportunity to have a career path. Cause I didn't want to be like a, an economist or something like, right. I don't know. What do you even yeah. do with an economics? Degree? Yeah. Like, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Be, be kind of stuffy and right. <laughs> yeah. So going back to when you were a kid, who was the biggest influence on your life? When you, when you think about like you're, you're now in your thirties and in hindsight, you're like, okay, well this person was the biggest influence in what I'm doing now. Uh, I think my mom. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm really close. I mean, I'm close with both my parents, but my mom just has always been like, just so supportive of whatever I want to do. So you graduated college, you went yep. to UC Davis, you uh, didn't go into the agricultural field, which is nope. the most popular. You became an economist and then worked at Zynga, the corporate route, and you were doing really well. You were, you actually mm -hmm. had, uh, you know, were earning a great income. You probably could have totally just cruised and been satisfied, except for the fact that Zynga ultimately, I think, ended up laying off a bunch of people, but you could they did. Yeah. I mean, so that was like way pre IPO, but if I had yeah. stuck it out to the IPO, I would have done very well. Yeah, for sure. But you were unsettled. You had like this, this itch, this quiet, still small voice that got louder and louder. So, you know, why did you leave ultimately this, this path, this, that, that every, I mean, we're, we're here in San Francisco and it's like the Mecca mm -hmm. and there are a ton of people who are listening, who work in the Bay Area, they work for corporations, they're doing something that they might be good at, but they're not great at it. Mm -hmm. They're some, it's something that they, somebody told them they should do. So what was it that gave you the courage and the ability to say, you know what, now's the time? Sure. So there's definitely a big gap between when that happened and the time at Zynga. So there was eight years in between where I worked in digital marketing. After I left Zynga, I moved to Los Angeles, uh, started working freelance, and also did very well. Worked with a lot of great tech clients and e-commerce and fashion, like all kinds of stuff. And like you said, like, I feel like I was good at it, maybe even great. I, I was very good at it, but it just wasn't fulfilling. Mm -hmm. And so the turning point for me, like when, when it switched, was actually when I turned 30, which is about two years ago. I was working, then I was in Phoenix, Arizona working for a corp, very corporate client, a big billion dollar brand, mm. doing things that are that I thought were like good stepping stones, right? For like building the resume and building mm -hmm. my kind of digital portfolio. But it just like got to the point where I would literally look forward to the weekends and Sunday would Sunday night would come and I'd be like bummed out because Monday and the work week was going to start and I had, you know, I had like the cubicle and and all the corporate stuff and I turned 30 and was just like what am I like why is this why is this my life? It doesn't have to be. Right. Um, so I quit. And, and it was literally just like, I turned 30, figured it, I was just like, I can't do this and just left. And I didn't have a plan. I didn't know that I would fall back into like, you know, into the art mm -hmm. stuff, but mm -hmm. yeah. What were, what were you thinking at that moment? Like what, you didn't have a plan. You just knew that this could not be your life forever. Right. No, it was just like, I'm 30 years old. I don't enjoy what I'm doing on a daily basis and that needs to change. Mm. And so I just left just knowing, knowing that I would figure it out. And I mean, really like worst case scenario, I could go back to freelance. Like I could do digital marketing. Right. I knew that I could do that. I just yeah. didn't want to do that anymore. And so, yeah, I just put in my notice uh, and, and gave up like my nice salary and my VP position, like, yeah. all, all this stuff. I'm just like, I'm out. They're like, yeah. what are you going to do? I'm like, I don't know. Well, like, I mean, I'm, I'm that, out. that's part of being an entrepreneur is getting outside of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And, and that's the only way that we grow. I mean, like you stepped out into the gray unknown 
And, and every entrepreneur that's ever hit any significant level of sustainable success has had to do the same thing, Mm -hmm. not have a plan, Mm -hmm. but just answer the call, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that you asked yourself kind of the right question in, in the sense that you, you were asking, well, what's the worst possible thing that could happen? Right. And the worst possible thing wasn't that bad. I mean, you're not going to die. Right. You know? No, was, yeah. And I think entrepreneurs today make way too big a deal mm-hmm. of change. People aren't afraid of change. They're afraid of the transition and the, the little steps along the way. Mm-hmm. You talked earlier about relationships and how relation, a relationship got you to Zynga. Mm-hmm. So how important did relationships, what role did relationships play from the moment you stepped away from that corporate world into your now entrepreneurial journey? I think, I mean, relationships are everything. I think that the way that I've been able to transition from like a digital marketing nerd to an artist has all just been because of the relationships that I built, whether it's relationships with other creatives that can help like inspire me or we can like collaborate and work together or relationships with startup founders or, or people that can actually like buy my work and, and support me. It's mm-hmm. like, it's all relationships. Mm-hmm. What's been the most important relationship to you in the last you know few years since you've started these things? It, it, I feel like it's cheesy to say, but I feel like my relationship with myself has changed a lot hmm. doing what I'm doing now versus doing what I was doing, working for other people you know, working for yourself, like you have to be like super accountable and like, there's nobody making you do it, right? You just have to, you have to decide and prioritize like what's the most important thing. And I think that I've gotten a lot better at like self-talk of just like getting myself ready for the day, Mm. keeping myself accountable because nobody else is doing it. So yeah, I mean, if I had to pick one, it would be with myself. Oh, that's very powerful, dude. I don't think people think about that nearly Mm -hmm. enough. And, and you know, we are the ones that are accountable for our choices. We're the only ones that can make the choices A or B. Mm-hmm. And one of the most powerful things that that entrepreneurs or, you know, entrepreneurs or just the stay-at-home mom or dad or whatever can make is how we talk to ourselves about mm-hmm. what we're capable of achieving. I'm mm-hmm. huge on that. Mm-hmm. We just concluded a series uh, on the power of developing belief in mm-hmm. yourself. Mm-hmm. And it was a five-week series. We had Mel Robbins, a guy named Kevin Hall nice. on there, talking about his book called The Power of Words. Okay, That book literally changed my life because we, when we're not talking to each other, we're talking internally to ourselves. Right. And when you understand the meaning of words, mm-hmm. it changes the conversation. Okay. I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah, it's it's incredibly powerful. So, like, for example... The word courage Uh literally means heart. Okay. Okay. So when you are encouraging someone, Mm -hmm. you're adding to their heart. Mm -hmm. Okay. When you're discouraging someone, you're Mm -hmm. taking from them. I like that. Right? Yeah. Passion. Probably the most overused word in the entrepreneurial world. Completely. It's used entirely wrong. Okay. Okay. It's a Latin-rooted word, paseo. It means sacrifice or the willingness to suffer. Really? So when you frame it that way, of course. pursue your passion and you understand the meaning, pursue uh-huh. that which you are willing to suffer for. Sure. I've watched your Instagram channel. I mm-hmm. know that you're up till three, four, five, whatever in the morning mm-hmm. working, mm-hmm. creating these pieces. Mm-hmm. But it's not, it's not even something that you're probably even cognizant of because you're in that 
what Stephen Kotler refers to as like a flow state. You're hundred percent flow. Yeah. yeah. What's that like? It's crazy. I've set up my studio space to be like such a creative flowy space for me that I can get into flow just by walking in that door. Hmm. So like the motivation, like the, again, kind of comes back to like the self-talk of like, if I'm like tired or don't want to do something, I know that all I have to do is get myself into that space. Hmm. And when it happens, I can just start like organizing. I'm like, you know, putting my colors in order, just picking like color schemes or just looking at stencils or looking at other stuff. And it'll just like, it clicks. And God, I just had someone over to the studio the other day and I was explaining it. I feel like when I'm paint, when I'm painting in really deep in flow, it's a completely out of body experience where I feel like I'm just watching someone else paint. Yeah. It's like, I'm not even, I'm not even present. Like I'm, I'm removed from the whole situation. Things are just happening in front of me and I'm just, I'm just observing. Yeah. You know, my manager came over, we just had a trip to Vegas to drop off some art and he flew out to, he had never been to my studio. So he came out and spent a few days with me. And one day we were painting and he, he was like, just watching me paint. And after like, I, I just finished this thing. He's like, what did you just do? He's like, dude, you don't even try. Like, how did you just do that? Because I'll paint like really fast. Like once I get going, I'm just boom, boom, boom. Yeah. And I'm like, not like, I can be like talking to him and just like going and just like watching. And he's like, how do you do that? I'm like, just, I just like get in a flow and it just happens. It's Have you read weird. Stephen, Co- any of Stephen Kotler's work? Do you know who he is? I haven't read Stephen Kotler's, but I, one of my favorite books is called the rise of Superman. That's which him. Is, oh, that's Stephen Kotler. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's a great book. <laughs> yeah. No, I read that book yeah. every year. Yeah. So he just wrote an, a follow-up book to that. Really? Called Stealing Fire, which talks about, describes okay. exactly. I need to write down. No. It'll be all on the show <laughs> okay. notes. Okay, It'll great, be in the great. show notes. <laughs> but he, it talks about this sense of uh, selflessness, uh-huh. timelessness. Uh-huh. Um, it's called stirs. Selfless, timeless. I'm forgetting the other ones. Okay. But. It's, so it's a perfect des- description of what you are talking about. Uh-huh. And the highest performers are able to get into that state without needing to use any sort of outside. Sure. Like uh, at will. Right? At will. At will. Yeah. Or in their environment. They create yep. their environment. But, you know, there are other people that try to get into a flow state by introducing drugs or something uh-huh. else into the uh-huh. situation. But the highest performers can step into a room like yep. yourself and boom. Mm-hmm. And I actually just watched this video where you were painting something for a professional athlete, I uh-huh. believe. Yep. And you did these, these circular spray painting motions mm-hmm. super fast. And they, were, they looked basically perfect. Like when I was watching it. Right. And I was blown away. Just like, it was just like boom, boom, yeah. boom. And there were, it was like three perfect arches that, that basically mirrored each other. It was mm-hmm. so impressive. Yeah, it was crazy. So with that particular one, so I was painting CJ Anderson and I dropped and I gave that to him yesterday. Oh, cool. Um, cool. And he saw that same story and he's like, man, I saw you like spraying some circles. And I was like, I don't know how that's going to look like me. And and then he's like, but this is, yeah. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Are do you, you. when you are like, so using that example and people can go on to Blake Jamison's Instagram page and watch all of these Instagram Mm -hmm. videos and stories, highly recommend it. When you were painting CJ, and you were in that particular part of the process. Did you know exactly what you were doing? I was just watching myself paint. Interesting. It's, I mean, I, I don't know how to explain it any better. People are like, it, it, that's not an uncommon question to be. People are like, how do you plan? Like, how do you pick colors? How do you plan this? How do you do this? I'm like, I don't know. I just, yeah. I just watch myself do it. Hmm. Interesting. So fascinating. It, it, flow is such an incredible 
yeah. conversation. I mean, whether you're talking to an athlete and you're and they're mm-hmm. in the zone, or mm-hmm. you're talking to yourself and you're you're in that flow state where mm-hmm. just all sense of time and and mm-hmm. self just goes away. Time relations. I've, I've been there a few times when I, specifically when working out because mm-hmm. you have with CrossFit. I do CrossFit. Everybody uh-huh. who listens to my show knows that I do CrossFit, and they're probably tired of me talking about <laughs> it. But when you do CrossFit, you you lift a lot of heavy weight typically. Yeah in high intense. Mm-hmm. And so you have to be fully present. Otherwise uh-huh. you're going to injure you're yourself, yourself, right? Yeah. The sense of being in the zone and flow is something that's super fascinating to me, which is why I had Steven on the show, you know, earlier this year, mm-hmm. which you know, a great conversation. We talked about the rise of Superman and stealing fire. Mm-hmm. I noticed on your, on your right wrist, you have this tattoo. Love is greater than money. Yep. What's the story behind that? So that one is actually from, uh, a past relationship that was that was super important to me, and ultimately, what kind of drove us apart was we just had different views over money. Hmm. Um, I've never let the number in my bank account dictate how happy I am. I've had a lot of money. I've had no money. It just doesn't matter. I mean, it matters, but it doesn't really matter. Mm. And in that particular department, we didn't see eye to eye on that, and that's what what drove us apart. And so, this was just kind of like a reminder to me of what's truly important to me. You know. So if you were talking to an entrepreneur who's just getting started out, or even entrepreneurs that are surrounding us in San Francisco right now, where everything is driven by the stock option, the restricted stock unit, mm-hmm. who's going to give me the best comp package, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they, they're choosing to do that grind over maybe what they're called to do. You sure. Know? What would you say to them? I was make like I said, I was making very good money in the digital world and had a nice title and my benefits package and all that stuff. And when I left that, there was a lot of uncertainty. And for a long time as an artist, I didn't make a lot of money, but I was fortunate because with a marketing background, I was able to sell some art, but it still was like never close to what I was at Mm -hmm. before, but still just like the happiness and fulfillment is like, it's indescribable. It's night and day of how I just looked like how excited I was to wake up in the morning making almost no money as like a, a very big starting artist versus like, you know, a VP of a big corporation, like yeah. doing all the digital marketing. Like that it was just night and day. Mm-hmm. So for me, I don't know. It wasn't even a, it wasn't even a question, yeah. you know, it's exciting because just last month was the first month that I did better with art than I did at the peak of my digital marketing. Hmm. So I feel like I'm, I'm finally hitting my stride, hmm. but Every every single penny that I make right now, I'm reinvesting into my business. I'm buying more supplies. I'm buying in bulk so that I can do bigger stuff. I'm hi- like I've just hired a few people onto my team. So I don't know. I'm just, I mean I'm just never I've never been driven by money. So yeah. I I want more money so that I can like make a bigger impact right. and I can work with more people and I can do cooler projects. That's my only motivation to have yeah. money is just for like what I can do. Right. Not like what I can have. Well, Buy. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Money is yeah. motivation for what you can do, not what you can have. Yep. And, and the purpose and the mission behind what is driving you. And I, I think that's such an incredible lesson and the importance of choosing to be fulfilled now mm-hmm. as opposed to waiting for something. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that's what actually prevents people from performing at a peak level. Mm-hmm in anything is mm-hmm. because they're, they're waiting for some 
exterior thing to happen mm-hmm. when we actually possess everything that we need mm-hmm. right now mm-hmm. to live and perform at a peak level in every area of our life. Totally. We just need to answer that call. 100%. Yeah, it's also interesting just like with the money. I have this weird thing with money where if I find myself in a situation where I where I need more than I have, I like it's just it's so weird. I literally go and give away whatever I have. So like hmm. if I have a big bill to pay and I don't have the money in my account, I'll literally just go give money to homeless people because my problems aren't really that big. Yeah. What do you know now uh-huh. that you wish you had known the day you started? Like the day I started painting? Mm-hmm. The day you started this, the, the, the business of, of painting. I know now that I do not have to follow a traditional artist path to be a successful artist. Hmm. And I didn't know that at first. Hmm. What is the traditional artist path and what does the, your path look like? Sure. So the traditional artist path is, this is all beyond like making good work, right? Making good work has to be a given, but the path is get really good gallery representation, uh, do big solo shows or group shows with other very big artists, sell to established art collectors the the ones that if they buy your stuff, other people want it just because that art collector bought it. Mm-hmm. Get your stuff into museums like SF MoMA, which is why they, the whole thing kind of kicked yeah. off of that project. Uh, you know, get into the biggest museums, get the biggest gallery representations, you know, sell to the biggest collectors. That's like the traditional path. Yeah. And I was trying, when I first started painting full time, I'm like, I'm going to fast track this path faster than anyone's ever done it. I'm going to crush this traditional path fast because of my like, weird marketing brain. Yeah. And now what I realize is none of that matters. All that matters to me is I need to make enough money to support myself to continue to paint every day. Like that's the goal and how I get there is irrelevant. And so the path that I've found since is I make art for businesses Mm -hmm. and I make art for offices and to promote myself to these people like CEOs and founders and office managers and facilities managers, I use LinkedIn. And that's like so unconventional in terms of the art world. So like I'll meet other artists and they just, they're like, what? I don't even understand. And and they're like, are you, is it working? I'm like, dude, I'm, I've never been busier. I've got like a month and a half of pipeline full that I can't like, if somebody hired me to paint something right now, I'd be like, cool, I can get it. I can do it in December. And that only filled that pipeline only filled up after I, I pivoted away from like the traditional world. Mm-hmm. So I wish I knew that sooner yeah. that, that I didn't have yeah. to that I didn't have to try and do what everyone else did. Right. You know. This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group, a full service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. Based in Oklahoma. They work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580-275-2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the Impact Entrepreneur told you to call. One of the things that that I've noticed about you and that a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with is is creating their own opportunity. You weren't waiting around for something to happen. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of people that want 
certain things or want to be successful or want to launch a product, mm-hmm. but they're literally just stuck in their head and they're not taking action. They're not five, four, three, two, wanting it as, as Mel would say, you yep. know, but you didn't wait around and, and wait for somebody else to create an opportunity for you. Mm-hmm. You made your own opportunity. And one of the perfect examples of that, of just, even, even though it didn't necessarily work out maybe as you would have hoped it would have at the end, mm-hmm. but just the, all of the, the exposure that you got along the way is the SF MoMA project, 90 days to SF, to SF MoMA, which mm-hmm. is on YouTube. You can follow his, you can go back and watch the videos that he created every day for 90 days on his journey to try to get his artwork in, in the SF MoMA. So what was the inspiration behind that? Sure. So, I mean, like I said, like I, I saw this traditional path And so when I decided to become a full-time artist, I wrote a list of all of like the goals that an artist might have in, you know, their lifetime. And it was like, you know, do a solo show, sell a piece of art for over a thousand dollars, get my art into a world-class museum. Uh, You know, there's a long list of stuff. And being, you know, SF native, SF MoMA's here, they were just like remodeling and it's like super world-class. It's like, okay, getting into SF MoMA would be, would be awesome. Like that's something that artists work their whole life for. Let's see how fast I can do it. And 90 days was uh, a little bit arbitrary, but it was like far enough out that I feel like if I worked on it every single day for 90 days, who knows what, like, who knows what I could do to make it more interesting. I hired a filmmaker, uh, Matt, he moved into my house for the summer, filmed me every single day. We just filmed what I was doing. And it was for those listening that don't know about the project. I was trying to break into the San Francisco art scene in 90 days, get my art into SF MoMA, which is a world-class museum and document the whole process with a daily vlog. So yeah, I mean, definitely like creating your own opportunities. It was funny because the very first day we walked into MoMA, brought a couple paintings just in like a paper bag. And I literally just walked into MoMA <laughs> up to the front desk. I bought a membership and then I was like, okay, let me talk to the manager. Like I want to, I want my art in this museum. And they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, like I brought art. Like I want to show it to someone. I want you guys to put it up. And they're like, what do you think? No one's ever done that before. I'm like, yeah, but you you know, you got to ask for what you want, right? Like I'm not, MoMA's not looking for me at that point. I was just, I was just there. So, you know, they didn't take the art on day one. (laughs) But it was funny because it was me and Matt both were like, holy crap, they might act, this might work because they they were just so surprised. They're like, what? Like, yeah, like this is awesome art. Like you guys need to put this up in the museum. So, you know, then it was like 90 days of, of really trying to kind of figure out like, how an artist gets in. And then at the very end, what we did is a flash mob yeah. where we had 30 people sneak my art into the museum in SF MoMA gift shop bags. And we took over a room and all at the same time, everyone pulled out the art and held it up, which was cool because the staff of MoMA, MoMA does like experiential kind of performance art, right. weird stuff like that yeah. sometimes. Yeah. So even the staff thought it was like a coordinated MoMA thing. And then, and all these guests were all there and they were all like taking pictures and stuff. So it was crazy. Um, but they, I, I but actually they watched it. that video Yeah, and it was kind of cool because I saw everybody pull out the artwork and then you had people who were walking through the museum that were just guests. Just guests yeah. And then they started whipping out their phones and taking pictures yep. or videos or whatever. It was yep. a really fascinating thing. It was crazy. And it, you know, SF MoMA knew that that was me. It wasn't, even yeah. though I was trying to be indiscreet like that day, 
uh, or, or trying to be. Discreet. I think you even shaved your beard. I shaved my beard. <laughs> I wore a hat. Like I was, I was like, I felt like I was in like Thomas Crown. I know. Beard. I was just gonna say. Yeah. yeah. So they totally knew it was me, and like you know, they didn't necessarily like that. <laughs> but it's funny because I know some SF MoMA employees now. Yeah. And uh, a couple of those pieces of art are actually now hanging in the break room. Oh, cool. SF MoMA. So I technically have work. You're technically in yeah. SF MoMA. Yes. How many times did you go to the SF MoMA in that 90-day period? In 90 days? Uh, we went about 40 times. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And each it, time it, you were rejected. It wasn't every time just saying, hey, look at me, look at me, get my art. Like we were doing different things. So we had some meetings there. Uh, I was familiarizing myself with, with specifically the Fisher collection because we had an introduction to uh, Donald Fisher, who's like the chairman of the board at mm -hmm. MoMA. So it was all like for different purposes. Uh, but by the end, like there's a, like, if I go to MoMA now, like a security detail is assigned to just follow me around. <laughs> so I don't, I, I've been a couple times, but, and I, and I tell them, they're like, Hey Blake, like, are you going to do anything crazy today? And I'm yeah. like, no, man, I'm just here to, I'm enjoy, just here to enjoy the, I'm art. here to enjoy the art. They're like, okay, well they still have to follow you. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. I don't care. You, that, that probably, you probably feel like you got some street cred now. I totally you know? have street cred now. <laughs> What what about staying innovative in the face of of rejection or setbacks? You know, you talked about adversity and stepping out into the unknown as being a a way to grow, mm -hmm. but also you know along the way as an artist, even in this project, you know, the ultimate answer was was no, mm -hmm. the technical answer, even of though. Course. Yeah. So how do you stay inspired um, and innovative through rejection? One of my first jobs in college. I was selling house painting jobs. And so I was basically, uh, I would knock on doors and, mm -hmm. and cold call and literally knock on the door and say, hi, do you want a free estimate for a paint job? I got so good at handling reject. I've had so many doors slammed in my face and I had a really great mentor that was just like, like, dude, the faster you can get your nose, like there's a yes, 30 doors away. Mm -hmm. How fast can you get there? Mm -hmm. Kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, because we basically did the math of like how many doors I had to knock on to get a yes. And so it was like every single time, like even door slams, like great next door. So I think that I've carried that with me into every, you know, everything that I do that rejection has never bothered me since then that I'm just like, whatever, mm -hmm. next person will say yeah. yes. You know, I'm that much closer. So yeah. I mean, in that sense, like rejection is just a not, I don't know, just part of it. It's just part of it. Yeah. It, it creates opportunity. It. Sure. Yeah. You know, it, it's, if you look at it the right way, it, mm -hmm. it makes space for something, right? Because mm -hmm. you're not going to waste time with that person or that thing. Mm -hmm. And and it creates opportunity for you to go back into your studio and create and do something mm -hmm. else. It's still hard from time to time to, to get over. Yeah. What are the lessons that you learned, that you have learned, not necessarily just from the MoMA project, but from all of your actions that that make your own opportunity? I mean, it's, it's really just like putting the, the question back into the answer, but it's like the action is the only thing that matters. I think that a lot of entrepreneurs, in, and definitely myself included in the past, did a whole lot of talking, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Talking about what we're going to do, mm -hmm. talking about our ideas or our vision, and I'm just like so much more focused now that I'm just like, like people start talking to me about it and I'm like, just do it. Mm -hmm. I don't want to, I don't want to hear it. Like mm -hmm. no offense. Yeah. Great. But just do it. All right. You know, show me, don't tell me. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think that again, kind of coming back to like being, becoming like really accountable to myself that 
that has become just super important to me of just like the action of just doing it. And there's literally like, there's no finish line that every single project I finish, it's like, great. Yay. Cool. Like I don't dwell on it. It, w- it could have been better. could have been worse. Like whatever. I'm like, okay, next thing. Like, what am I doing today? Mm-hmm. A lot of people, one of the things that prevents people from taking action, even though they want to do something is the fear of making a mistake. Mm-hmm. And we all have made mistakes along mm-hmm. the way. So what do you do to overcome making mistakes, which are inevitable. You're going to be working on a mm-hmm. project. You're going to be two thirds of the way through it. And then you're going to screw that thing up. How do you mm-hmm. deal with that? So I actually like kind of have this like challenge, like fun thing with myself where I keep taking on projects that I don't know if I can do. Mm. And, and so by doing that and knowing like, for example, the piece that's in the front uh, window of this hint office, that's all made of like the hint bottles. Like that was a huge undertaking that I, I committed to doing before I had a plan. And then I'm just like, okay, I just need to figure this out. But by continuously like challenging and, and knowing that I'm doing things that I'm like, can I pull this off? Yeah, I, I can pull this off. Making mistakes is all the same thing with rejection. It's like, whatever, that's just part of it. Mm-hmm. Like, of course I'm going to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. I love Bob Ross uh, artist. <laughs> it is so cool. Like he says in art, there's no mistakes. There's only happy accidents. Yes. Yes. I love so that. like, that's like, I kind of feel like those are like words to live by for me. We're like, I'll do something. It won't go as planned. And I'm like, huh? Okay. Well, that's kind of cool. Like whatever. I mean, I'm really for, I'm really grateful that like I'm working in an industry of art where like a mistake still is just art, mm-hmm. right? You're in some technical, you know, you're a doctor, you're a heart surgeon and you make a mistake. That's mm-hmm. a little different. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But I'm in like this fun kind of playground where my mistakes actually don't matter. Yeah. And, and so I'm not afraid to make them, which I feel like helps me make less of them. Cause I'm just like, dude, I'm not overly cautious. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm just, mm-hmm. just going for it. I think that the, the, uh, through line there for, for anybody, for any entrepreneur or business owner or whatever is still applicable though, even though they may not be a, an artist because it's what you do with that mistake or that failure or mm-hmm. whatever that matters. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's the same for success. Like mm-hmm. your, your past performance doesn't guarantee any future result. It's, it's what you do with it that really matters. And I, I think that we all can learn a tremendous amount about failure from mm-hmm. how artists like yourself and others and, and Bob Ross look at quote unquote happy accidents. <laughs> right. Know? Totally. Why did you choose to make the focal point of your art, the entrepreneur, celebrity, and cultural icon? Good question. When I'm painting something, my kind of barometer for whether or not it's a good idea to paint is if this doesn't sell what I hang it in my own house, Mm. Um, which really is, I mean, how it started, right? I, I was painting things that I liked and that I enjoyed. And because I was in the like, tech digital marketing world for almost a decade, I really look up to guys like Lewis Howes and Gary Vaynerchuk and Steve Jobs and like those entrepreneurial figures. So I paint what what inspires me is the, is the short answer. And I think it's cool. I mean, a lot of people paint, you know, the rock stars and the, the, those type of like kind of celebrities. Right. But not so many people are shining a light on like the entrepreneurial Mm -hmm. rock stars. And, Mm -hmm. and so I've kind of been doing that. So when you, when you envision the, not, not just the recipient of those, those pieces such Mm -hmm. as Lewis or Mm -hmm. Gary or all of these uh, celebrity entrepreneurs, 
But when you envision the entrepreneur sitting in their office, looking at that artwork and seeing D-Rock or seeing Gary or seeing Lewis Howes in these really inspirational positions, what are you hoping that that viewer Mm -hmm. receives as the message? So Lewis is a good example. So Lewis in his book, The School of Greatness, had a quote, you become what you envision yourself being. And that like really stuck with me and actually like spray painted it on the wall of my studio. Mm. And I really believe in that. And so when I was painting Lewis, I knew that I was going to incorporate that quote into it. And I was literally painting that for my own house. And I tagged him in the Instagram story and he saw it and replied and was like, whoa, that's like really cool. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, I can't believe like you saw it and liked it. Like, do you want it? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. I want it. So, you know, when I was picturing the viewer, I was picturing myself of just seeing this, you know, with the, with that quote that I love. And then it was just, just luck getting his attention on Instagram and then went down to LA and delivered it. And then he had me do like all the summit of greatness speakers, uh, in Ohio a couple weeks ago, which is where I did Mel. Oh, that's cool. So, and, and the same thing, like with D-Rock, I I mean, I did tell D-Rock that I was going to do him and I got permission to use a particular photo, but like the photo, the hustle, like D-Rock is watching painting was for me. Mm -hmm. And, but now it's going to VaynerMedia. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, that's, I guess that's like a perfect example of like me painting the things that I just want. Mm -hmm. And then that I'm passionate about and I'm not really thinking about the other viewer. I'm just thinking like, what's going to, what am I going to love the most? Mm -hmm. And I do that. And then other people vibe with it. See, I love the D rock thing because it's like for an entrepreneur or anybody that's trying to lead any area of their life with, whether it's business, physical, spiritual, mental, uh, mental, somebody's watching you Mm -hmm. all the time. I mean, Mm -hmm. and obviously Gary Vaynerchuk has got D rock following him around practically 24 seven. Yep. But People are watching you and people are watching you and I all the time. Sure. We may not be may not be behind a camera and posting on YouTube, but they're watching our actions. They're mm-hmm. watching our choices. They're mm-hmm. learning from our decisions. Mm-hmm. Have you ever been on a project that you've been super pumped about, but that when you go to deliver it to the the person that commissioned the project, they're like, oh. <laughs> I keep thinking that's gonna happen. It, has, it hasn't <laughs> yet. Fortunately, it yeah. hasn't. Um well, let's see. Okay, so I did just deliver a couple paintings in Vegas. Uh, one of one of which was to Rick Harrison from Pawn Stars, mm-hmm. um, who's awesome. And so we went to his pawn shop, and they were filming an episode for the History Channel of Pawn Stars, and they were very busy. And I was doing this little like video kind of skit where uh, I was giving giving him the painting, and we filmed it. And he was like between filming TV, like way more important things to him. And he just kind of like came out and he's like, okay, I have 90 seconds. Like, what are we doing? And they're like, okay, stand here. Okay, here, Blake did this painting for you. Check it out. And he's like, cool. Okay, guys, I got to go. Like, he was very like- All business. Like, just like, okay. Like, all right, I'm going to go back inside. Which was like a little bit like, oh man. But (laughs) uh, it's funny because, you know, I'll do my research on people and and Rick is a huge bookworm. Yeah. He, he has like this crazy, like historic book collection and, and knows all these like crazy facts. So I knew that if I could, well, I believed that if I could get him talking about books that he would open up to me. Mm-hmm. So he finished filming inside. Unfortunately, we, we also, we finished filming our thing, but he finished filming. He came back outside and I started asking him about books of like, what is, what his favorite book is, what the rarest book that like he wish he could get, but he can't. Uh, and he was just like 
totally opened up and just like gushing about it and telling mm. me all this random stuff, which was great. But in terms of like reaction to my art, that he was definitely the most like meh out of everyone. Yeah. Um, but after he opened it up, he, after he opened up, he was like, I think that's probably just his personality too, just from having watched Pawn Stars, you know? I mean, yeah. he seems like a kind of like a, unless it's like some ancient piece of, you know, history, right? He's not going to get all not pumped up about it, you know? Yeah. But I, I want to talk about like relationships again for a second because you, you mentioned that you, you gave that painting to Lewis Howes. You posted it on Instagram and he said he wanted it. That's how I discovered you. I mean, relationships are powerful even if you don't necessarily have direct contact with that mm-hmm. person. Because I've, you know, I've chatted with Lewis via social media, but we're not buddies or anything like mm-hmm. that. But you you can find relationships in the most incredible ways today, and they don't necessarily need to be physical. Mm-hmm. They you don't necessarily need a physical relationship to help take your journey to the next level. Mm-hmm. It can totally be virtual. And that's mm-hmm. one of the powerful things of, of social media, which you obviously have doubled down on and tripled down on and has really carried you above and beyond where you probably thought you would, mm-hmm. you'd be at this point. Mm-hmm. I remember <laughs> when Facebook came out, I was in college. Uh, Davis was actually one of the very early schools I got on Facebook in, in 2004. And it was like a party planning, you know, we'd be like coordinating, like where we're going to go. I had no idea then like what it would be today and just social media in general, because I never did like MySpace or even like the AOL chat rooms. Like Mm -hmm. I wasn't really into that, Mm -hmm. but uh, I was into Facebook for social purposes. And then really like with working at Zynga and just seeing like the power of social media, when it, when that all clicked, like the world becomes so small and anyone anyone is available. Mm-hmm. So like the whole reason that I know Gary is because of a kind of a little stunt that I pulled on Facebook to just get his <laughs> attention. Like it, it's really easy to get someone's attention. If you just, if you kind of think outside the what box. What did you do? What did you do? So he had posted on his, um, on his fan page saying, Hey, I'm coming to Los Angeles. I was living in LA at the time. I've got a couple extra hours to kill in the afternoon on Friday. What should I do? And so I commented saying, I'll take you surfing. Uh, let's, cause I didn't want to do like the coffee and pick your brain thing. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm like, let me take you surfing. I'll teach you. I have an extra, I have extra wetsuits. I have extra boards. And then the, really the thing that helped is then I went on to all of my friends that were actually online. You could see like who's online on Facebook. And I'd be like, yo, Mike, huge favor. Can you go to click on this status, comment on Gary's thing saying you should meet up with Blake, make sure to tag me and tag him. And, uh, within an hour, the, con- the post had 60 comments total and 40 of them were tagging me. <laughs> uh, so within, it, within that hour, I had an email from Gary CCing his assistant saying, and, that, and then he said, hey, Blake, like, I, can't, I don't have time to go surfing, but Nate, who was his assistant at the time, he's like, Nate, set up a meeting. Like, we got to talk to this dude. And, and, the, and then, like ever since then, like me and Gary have been like, cool. So just like it, it's so easy, right? Like before that I had no access. I had nothing to offer him in terms yeah. of like, you know, I was a tiny social media dude and he was already doing like the Vayner media stuff. But you, you went, you leaned in with giving and trying to provide an experience as opposed to saying, Hey, let's grab coffee and, and let me pick your brain and all your knowledge, which everybody else, all the other 10,000 people said that that's what they wanted to do. hundred percent. hundred percent. But I mean, that's just like, you could do that with anyone. Like mm-hmm. I literally think I could get a meeting with anybody in the world if I, mm-hmm. if I really wanted it. Who do you want a meeting with right now? If you could pick anybody. 
It'd be fun to go golfing with Obama. Hmm. Would you paint him? I would totally paint him. Yeah. The thing is, is like, so Shepard Ferry is one of my like idols. Uh, he did the Hope poster, the Obama mm-hmm. Hope poster. Mm-hmm. So I haven't painted Obama because I'm already like such a huge Shepard fan. And mm-hmm. like, he just crushed that so hard that I'm like, that's kind of his thing. Yeah. I don't know. I just think it would be it would be fun to like spend maybe night. paint Michelle and you can get. I would totally paint Michelle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't really like get into like politics yeah. much, but like everything's just kind of a mess right now, and I just would like just love to like chill with Barack and just see what he has to <laughs> have say. Have a beer about like it. like uh, like Joe that yeah. Joe the plumber yeah. Joe plumber and uh, Barack Obama having a beer. Yeah, Blake and Blake and Obama. Yeah, Blake and Barry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so that's like totally separate from art. Although yeah. I would I would love to paint something for him, but what do you do to obviously since your business, your your work is such an inspir- depends so much on inspiration. What do you do to make sure that the inspirational aspect of what you're doing is never overwhelmed by the business end sure. of being an entrepreneur? So I think the best example of that is I do work that I paint for me and I, and I will offer it for sale, but I all, and then I take commissions, right. That mm-hmm. people are, people are ordering. Um, when people commission something, I prefer if they, and I tell them this, like, if you just tell me the size of the painting you want and who you want and let me handle the rest, that's going to ha- that's going to get you the best painting. Hmm. But if you want, if you want to pick colors, if you want to pick the photo, if you want to do that, no problem. We can mm-hmm. do it that way. Uh, and so it's like half and half people will give me the freedom to just trust me and some people say, no, I want this photo and I want it to be this colors. So anytime that I have commissions going, which is almost always right now, I have like three kind of tables in my studio and I have my commissions on one table that I'm working on. That's like my money table. And then I always have passion side things that I'm working on mm-hmm. that I will, I will crank out some of the best personal work, I think when I'm under a deadline for paid work hmm. and it'll be like procrastinating oh, yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. like, you know, in, in the moment where I'll get it all done, but like in the process of making something that I feel like is kind of forced and that's like the business side of things that I know I have to do, but I will just set aside my, my space and time for like a really like passion kind of, that's so funny. That I don't you, know if passion is right. Yeah. Maybe passion. No, is yeah, right, yeah, right. no, I mean, it is the right word now, especially now that you that understand case. the meaning yeah. of it, but it's funny that you, you, you just gave that example because you have the money table that are the commission projects that you have to work on there on a deadline, but then you'll off, you'll look at that and then you'll go and you'll do your personal work. Mm-hmm. It's funny because the the Patagonia, the company, mm-hmm. they have a policy. It's called the let my people go surfing policy. I love that already. So, <laughs> so you could be an employee at Patagonia, have a project that you're supposed to be working on, uh-huh. but they'll, and if you get spazzed out, they'll go surf. Yeah. You know, that's amazing. And then come back and yeah. do your thing, which probably yeah. you got this money project that you're supposed to be working on. You go and you work on your personal project and it's then you come back and suddenly the inspiration is boom. Yeah. And you just enter into that flow state. Yep. What are the lessons that the everyday entrepreneur that's not an artist uh-huh. can learn and apply from the creative process? I think that going back to like the mistakes where I said, you know, I I'm kind of playing in this playground where mistakes are okay, but really like mistakes are always okay. And I think that's easier to digest as an artist because it's just part of the process, but I think it's there. It's just as present as an entrepreneur and just knowing like, Hey, I'm just going to try this. Mm -hmm. And, and even if they don't consider themselves a creative type or an artist type, like think about like your 
your venture as your art. Mm-hmm. Right? You're you're building something from nothing. You're creating something. I think that that's art. And if you can see it that way and understand, like, oh, you know, art's not like perfect by the line within the lines, like by the book. Art's art. Right. And if you can, I think if you can treat your business like that and be okay with like things not going according to plan necessarily, but still be, be becoming cool art that I think that that could help. I think the talking versus doing is a big thing. Um, because I got, I totally got sucked into that. Um, and guys, you know, like Gary Vaynerchuk talks a lot, Mm -hmm. right. But he also does a lot. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of people that will replicate the talking, but they won't go and do the stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and he even, I mean, he talks a lot about doing the work. Like you have to just do it, which sinks in for some people and doesn't. But I think that uh, doing the work is just so important. I have a few more questions before we wrap up, but I mm-hmm. want to make sure that we definitely provide the opportunity to, to, for you to tell people where they can connect with you on social, on the web, where they can buy your work. Sure. So Blake Jameson, B-L-A-K-E-J-A-M-I-E-S-O-N on everything. Okay. Facebook. Yeah. Slash that oh, and the Instagram, web too. Yeah. Twitter. That's dot com. Dot com. Yeah. yeah. Every, everything. Okay. Just that. Awesome. Awesome. That's um, easy. Yeah. <laughs> and you, it looks like you got a massive sale going on right now on some of your pieces on your website. Yeah. So I started recently doing prints on canvas of my work and that's been, uh, been really cool. So to kind of get the print site up mm-hmm. and going, mm-hmm. I've, I've got a lot of prints on there that are cheaper than they're, than they're yeah. going to be for sure. And I, uh, yeah. I don't know what the pricing will be when this airs, but we'll definitely link to all of that cool. uh, in, in the show notes. So now for some like fun questions, you okay. know, uh, so I'm bringing back an old one that I haven't asked anybody in probably a year. I mean, it's a word association question and there's okay. not, there's not a wrong or right answer. You just choose the one that you identify with and you, you share why. Sure. So are you a doer or an accomplisher? I'm a doer because uh, I don't believe that there's a finish line. And if I were an accomplisher, I feel like I would be like, that's accomplished. Okay, I'm done. Mm. Versus a doer is just like, do, mm. do. Yeah. yeah. Doer 100%. That's probably the most succinct answer I've got on that question, to be honest with you. Awesome. No, I love it. That's awesome. If you could pick any skill set that you currently possess, so a skill set you currently possess, okay. and turn it into a superpower where you could have an even greater impact in the world, what would it be? Just kind of being a social chameleon. I think, which really I learned in college as a bartender, I believe, that bartenders have a, such a good job, right? They can come in and they can match someone's energy and they can understand what someone wants and hear and allow. I just feel like I've, I've taken that and I think I'm pretty good in a lot of social situations. I can hang out with people that are very preppy. I can hang out with people that are very hippie, like, like whatever. Mm-hmm. I think that I can like match that energy. Uh, if that were a superpower and I could like level that up even more, it, mm-hmm. I mean, that's something I'm actively working on. I but, love it. Yeah. yeah. Because that way you can relate to people. You can find yeah. out what their hopes, dreams, fears, visions are, what's holding them back. Yep. Love it. You know, Lewis Howes asks the questions, the three truths question. Uh-huh. So I ask, I, I was like, ah, oh, that's a really great question, but I don't want to, I don't want to rip it off, you know? So I'm going to, sure. I'm going to try to find a different way to ask it. So what are three lies that we tell ourselves that prevent us from realizing our full potential? Three lies we tell ourselves that keep us from, I don't think I can, which I guess is a truth. Shoot. <laughs> no, I know. It's yeah. a lie. It's a yeah, lie. Okay, you're on, okay, you're okay, on track. Okay, we'll go with that. I mean, it's kind of repetitive, but like, it'll never happen. 
thinking something's impossible. And the consequences are worse than, than they actually will be. Hmm. I think we, we hype up the consequences. Are there any one of those? Which are, which are kind of all, I mean, these are all tied together, right? Yeah. Of, of just kind of comes back to like the self-talk and like yeah. the belief. Usually the lies we tell are all tied together and, and they're rooted in fear. Yeah. Right? Which is ultimately rooted in pride because you're afraid of how others might perceive you if mm-hmm. X, Y, or Z doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. Have Have you had to battle consecutively with any one of those lies in your life? I battle them every day, mm-hmm. of course. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm cognizant of, like, I understand. That You're self-aware of it, yeah. I'm aware of them. So, I mean, yeah. Like, the doubt, is, like, I don't know, as an artist, like, it's always there, right? Mm-hmm. Is this, is this going to work? Is, this, is the client going to like it? Is the painting going to look good? All the time. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. This, this last question is the title of a book by the name of uh, a guy named Clay Christensen. And you, you probably have a unique answer in the respect that you're creating work that will last a lot longer than you will. <laughs> Hopefully. Hope so. Hope so. You know? Sure. So the, the title of the book and the question is, how will you measure your life? The stories that people tell about me. Hmm. If you could pick a story, what would it be? I want the stories that people tell about me to be like completely random, just like lead of the moment thing that maybe at the time didn't seem significant. And they're like, Blake made me smile that day. Mm. Mm. I love it, man. That's powerful. Simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. That's right. Blake Jameson, uh, thank you so much for uh, (laughs) joining us on the Impact Entrepreneur Show. It's been a great conversation and you're welcome back on the the show anytime. And I look forward to continuing to see your work just become ubiquitous, which is one of my favorite words. It's a great word, Ness. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Yeah. Blake, thank you for joining us on the Impact Entrepreneur Show today and sharing your point of view and educating us on how the creative mindset can help everyday entrepreneurs play outside the lines and create change for themselves and the markets and the businesses they serve. If you missed any of the key points or highlights from my conversation with Blake, we've got you covered over at theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash 88. And while you're there, be sure to check out the podcast masters and the Lawton Marketing Group. We could not do this show without them. Last but not least, if you want to join me in this movement to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others, I want you to head over to theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash join and jump on the Patreon page and see how you can support this show and our mission. Until next time, go make an impact.